All right, all right, here we go. This is the NBA Dream Podcast for RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Today is Tuesday, April the 18th. I'm your host, Sleepy J, joined once again by the one and the only Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie and myself will go ahead. We'll cover a few of the NBA playoff games for Tuesday and Wednesday, and we'll also have a few player props for you guys. Actually, Mackenzie and I, we're going to go ahead. We're going to give out maybe our prop of the year here. I honestly wanted to sell this, and I said, you know what, Mac? Let's give it to the people. He said, you know what? Let's freaking do it. So we're going to give you guys three-star player prop for Tuesday. So make sure you guys go ahead and stay locked into that. So what we're going to do here, we're going to do some game one recaps, tell you guys what we saw and now how we feel about these series moving ahead. Mac, we saw three big stars go down in game one. Giannis went down, Tyler Hero, John Morant, and hey, let's just throw Josh Hart in there too because I think he's a key guy that also got hurt. Did you happen to go ahead and get any news and notes on these guys? You know, are we going to see them back on the floor? What's going on here for now? Game twos. Yeah, I'll start with the most definitive. Tyler Hero is out four to six weeks. That probably means he's done for the season. I wonder if he's planning that way or if he literally can't book the trip to Cancun until technically they're eliminated from the playoffs, but unlikely we see him again in 2023. Uh, Next up, Josh Hart, doubtful, probably doesn't play game two. Market really moves a lot when a guy like Giannis is announced out. Not so much when a guy like Josh Hart is announced out, but 17 points, 10 rebounds, maybe the best Nick player off the bench. He's not going to be there. And then we have the most questionable and probably the most important, maybe definitely the most important. Giannis left the game in the first half with a back injury. MRI reports came that came out clean, that the MRI was clean. But uh, not a lot of information there. I'm wondering what what you think about that, uh, reading the tea leaves. But before we get to that, I'll just say John Morant. He's uh, X-rays were negative. I'd be very surprised if we don't see him for game two. He does say he's in a good bit of pain, but it seems like a pain-tolerant issue, not a can-he-can't-he type situation. So John Morant, probably out there for game two, maybe not 100%. But uh, what do you think of Giannis reading these reports? Very little information out yet, yet so far. All right, so let me ask you this first, and then I'll tell you what I think about Giannis. I don't know who it was, but I was scrolling through Twitter. Uh, it was probably like late last night, and I guess one of, I don't know if maybe it was an ESPN guy or somebody, some of the major media people, said something like, Tyler Hero is more important than Giannis. And a lot of people were, I guess they went crazy. Did you happen to see that that report? I did not see that. That's uh, That's a hot take for you. All right, so it must have been somebody from ESPN, but I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about how important Tyler Hero is to this team, and I think that you got Jimmy Butler there, but I think clearly Hero is the second most important person on that floor for the Heat. One, he can assist the basketball; he could do his rebounding, shoot threes. Uh, you know, he's a little bit of a nemesis there on defense as well, but he's going to be sorely missed. And I thought maybe that when I saw Giannis go down, I'm like, oh man. Like, if he's actually hurt, hurt, the Heat have a big chance here to go ahead and actually steal this series and knock the Bucks out. And that's kind of like, I think the Bucks are going to lose anyway. I don't think they're going to make the Eastern Conference Finals. But if Giannis goes down, I think you would agree with me, Mac, that that's not going to happen. But, you know, let's hope for the best for Giannis. You know, you, we always want to see the best players on the floor. So there, there can't be any asterisk, you know, when, when it's all said and done. But, I'm not a believer that I believe anything for, from any team when the NBA playoffs come. During the regular season, I get it. Like, I understand. Like, you know, you want to go in and say, oh, this guy's sick or this guy's hurt, da 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 But why in the hell would you ever want to give the Miami Heat a clear indication whether this guy's going to play or not? I think that only hurts your chances for game two. So while I think Rihannis is one of the most tough, most durable players in the league, I hope he comes back. I think he'll come back. 
the fact that he didn't come back is what gives me pause. So right now I'm hoping he comes back. I hope he plays. But until I hear that he, he's going to be on the floor and I actually see him on the floor, right now I would be very skeptical to go ahead and place any any you know future wagers or anything on the Bucks. I would actually be looking at the Heat, and I would be dialed in. And if Giannis is ruled out, I would probably just go ahead and immediately bet the Heat for the series because then I would I would honestly think that maybe there's a chance that Heat doesn't come back, and and I feel like I you know I'd have a pretty good ticket in my pocket. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the futures considerations. The title favorites entering the playoffs, it's not only that he was announced out for the rest of game one, it's how early that happened, only about like 15 minutes of real lifetime after he went into the locker room with that back injury. And the fact that he's still questionable for game two, if they had somehow won game one and they're like, maybe we can you know take a break, take a 1-1 split out of Milwaukee, but they lost game one, need to win game two, and yet it still seems very up in the air that he'll play that game. That means it's very up in the air that he'll be himself in the playoffs going forward. So I would look at the Celtics or the Heat 2-1 to one to win the series. I mean, man, just a couple of days ago, 2-1 to one on the Heat sounded crazy. Without Giannis, it makes a lot of sense. By the way, point of order, you said something that I know more than one Heat fan will disagree with. You said Tyler Hero, second most important player on the Heat. Uh, before I get into uh, the documents that I have laid out here, uh, would you like to revisit or reconsider that statement? No. Even if you say Bam, I'm going to say no. I'll say Hero, Hero is, yeah, he's he's more important than Lowry. And and from what I've seen from from Bam Adebayo, it hasn't looked good in this series. So uh, I'll stick with I'll stick with it, saying that Hero is the second second most important Heat player. Well, sir, the advanced analytics support your theory 100. percent Tyler Hero, number one on the Heat, plus eight points per game, according to 538's cleaning the gla- cleaning the glass. And almost all of it's on offense. I actually do think with this particular structure, although Bam's a better player, Tyler Hero's more important to their success because Jimmy Butler's had the Batman cape on almost the entire season and they don't have another option on offense as far as deciding what to do on a given possession other than look for Hero curling around a screen or giving it to him with some space. Kyle Lowry's not creating for himself anymore. So um, Giannis probably back. And because Tyler Hero's not going to be back, I would not look at playing the Heat the rest of this series. Uh, I I would be looking at fading Milwaukee in different areas, whether it's playing the Bucks, I mean the Celtics or the Bucks, not to win the East. Um, I do think they're vulnerable and maybe overpriced right now. But without Tyler Hero on the court, can't look at the Heat for me. You know, and I thought maybe you would push back on that, saying Sleepy, hold on, press the brakes. Like, yeah, let's just say the Bucks lose Giannis. You know, how do you make up for a guy like Hero? And the only thing that I could really come up with that, you know, like my other end of the argument would be, you know, the Hero was coming off the bench that this team knows who they are, even with him coming off the bench, and maybe they could fill in for him. But, you know, obviously the stats you just laid out there is kind of telling us, like, you know, this guy's not really replaceable. So we'll see. We'll see how that that series shakes out. Currently right now uh, we got Brooklyn and Philadelphia taking battle. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to skip the game one recap for that. And then we have the Warriors later on tonight there, Mac. We'll skip that recap as well. What I do want to talk about here and our first player prop is going to be in this game. We have Atlanta. And we have Boston. Current line for game two, Boston's going to be minus 10. And we have a total of 229.5. Mac, let's go back to game one. Boston was ahead in the first half in this one. It looked like it was going to be an absolute blowout. And although Boston got the cover there, you know, it got a little tight late. But I don't know what you what you think about Boston's performance in game one. But I thought it was nothing but, I don't want to say flawless, but it was pretty damn flawless. I mean, they look good. So what I'm thinking about doing, if you're taking a look at Boston in the first half for game two, 
And I was a little optimistic with Atlanta going into this series that maybe they would steal the game or maybe even two. But I'll tell you what, after game one, I'm kind of, maybe I'm having that Monday morning quarterback reaction kind of, you know, quick knee jerk reaction thing. But I, I, right now I'm, I'm seriously worried about looking at, at the Hawks in, in any shape or form. Well, if I wanted to be an optimist from an Atlanta point of view, I look at a shot quality, the analytics website that says, all right, you're going to make shots, you're going to miss shots, but we know how good these players are relatively. We know with player tracking data how close their opponents are. We can kind of get a good guess on what the score should have been. No team underperformed what they should have scored in game one more than the Atlanta Hawks. They were supposed to score 129 points. They scored 99. According to shot quality, they should have won the game 85% of the time. Now, I don't think they should have won the game 85% of the time. I think you got to take every stat that you get, especially this one, with a grain of salt because the Celtics were up by 30 at halftime. So whether or not the Hawks should have made a couple shots or missed a couple shots, they weren't going to make up a 30-point deficit because of shooting. There's something fundamentally wrong, and I don't think it's with the offense. I think that's where the shot quality information comes in. Their, their offense was fine. They were probably the most tired team in game one, having played at Miami in a do-or-die game just to get to the spot and then having to play the early time in the early time window thought it was a disadvantage for them and it showed up maybe their you know legs weren't exactly there and once you miss a couple it starts to snowball on itself but defensively that's where the problem is because this is the fifth time the Hawks have played the Celtics and for five straight times this Celtics small ball lineup has eviscerated Atlanta so I don't mind them in the first half because I do think Derek White moving into that starting lineup with Marcus Smart has unlocked something that's particularly good against an Atlanta team that wants to spread you out, wants to play uh, with a lot of small guys, a lot of bad defenders out there. Tough to do when you're swinging the ball the way this starting lineup can do. So the very first time that Derek White and Marcus Smart both featured in the in the starting lineup, usually one's the starter, one's the bench player, but they were both in starting March 11th since that date. Number one team winning by 11 points per 100 possessions, the Boston Celtics. That doesn't include the shellacking they did in game one. So trending in the right direction. I think they're poised to win the East, and uh, they probably clean this up in five games. I think maybe look at the overs, because I think both offenses will do well, but Boston a little bit better. I'm kind of with you with the over, too. I think Boston with Derek White on the floor is actually just a much faster offense. Now, you know, they put up 112 points. They had a major lead in that game, and I just wonder if they took their foot off the brakes a little bit. But they ended up crashing the glass big time and having a plus 13 advantage there. I don't think that's going to change. Their three-point shooting was, was I don't want to say it was great, but, I mean, they were 13 for 33, so Boston shot the three ball well. I mean, I can't really pick out anything that Boston did bad, and it's just hard for me to go ahead and look at Atlanta. But we talked a little bit about Derek White, and that's going to be our first prop that we go ahead and give out for the podcast. You and I, Mac, here are thinking over four and a half assists at plus 120 is actually a pretty good wager. What are your thoughts on White? I'll give mine second, but we're going to go ahead and recommend we play him over his assists for game two. Well, if you just look at his splits, he's ticking up in minutes, ticking up in usage uh, throughout the season. And my first thought was, let me look at points. You know, he, he put up, uh, you know, 20 plus points in three straight games. If we throw out the last game of the season, but they moved it. They moved it from 13 and a half to 15 and a half. So I'm like, all right, let me look down the ledger. What else is happening? And they didn't move the assist prop that much. It was four and a half last game. Now it's four and a half. We get a little bit less on the plus money, but something you brought up kind of intrigued me where are right, he's getting this shine. He's in the starting lineup and they're winning you know, what's the natural, what's the natural reaction? And I think it's to, you know, say I'm part of this and facilitate as much as it is score. Um, 
So that, that's that's my thinking on that. And then I looked up the numbers, and again, this matchup, this small ball matchup, really favors Derek White. So he's played five games throughout the last game of the season. He's played five games as a Celtic against the Hawks, averaging seven assists per game, has had five-plus in all five games. And right now, at this moment in time, as a starter, as a 33-minutes-per-game guy, his usage as well as his efficiency is as high as it's ever been as a Boston Celtic. And I don't think the market has reflected that yet in this market. So over four and a half assists was my thinking. All right. So when I think about Derek White, here's what I thought about. And this is when he joined Boston, Mac. I was wondering if he was going to be phased out of the league at some point or if he was just going to end up being a role player off the bench. And that's kind of where he started out here with Boston. But now he's leaked back into the starting rotation with this Boston team. And I think if this guy wants to think where his career is, in five, maybe 10 years, could he still be a starter in this league? Well, it starts right now. And I think that he wants to be more of a distributor than a scorer. And I think that that could help keep him on the floor. Like if I ask you this, Mac, who's going to be Boston's starting point guard next year? Is it going to be smart? Is it going to be white? Is it going to be, you know, Peyton Pritchard or Brogdon? I think that you would be in the camp where Derek White might actually have a chance. Maybe let's just say 50-50. I think that you probably would maybe agree with that especially if this works out. Like he's clearly played himself back into probably a nicer contract than what he was going to get. And he's going to go out there and look to be a distributor, to be a point guard of this team, because if anybody really gets bumped, and and I don't want to say that I know what they're going to do, but I think there's a chance that Marcus Smart could eventually get bumped off this team or, or whatever. So that's just one motivation here for White. But here's what I do know, is that when you start playing the third or the fourth score on a team over, especially with his points, you generally end up losing that wager. You want to look under for points. And and one of the reasons why was going back to what Mac was starting to say there before was that the books made this adjustment. Well, the public, they're going, they're going to be the people that are betting the points over. They're not looking at the rebounds as much. They're not looking at the assists as much. Like those are more of the sharper wagers. So it's hard for me to go ahead and buy in on points, on especially when you're the third or fourth leading scorer on a team. Because when you have a guy like Tatum and you have a guy like Brown that can go out there and they could put up 26, 28, 30 shots each, well, then that just tells me that there's a chance that Derek White might not get you know double-digit shots in this game. And God forbid, even if he has a cold shooting game and they're still going to leave him on the floor, well, then he knows the next part of his game has to be assist the basketball, rebound the basketball, play defense. So I think the assist right now at four and a half, that it hasn't been adjusted enough. Because you know Tatum and Brown are going to shoot. And if this guy's looking to go ahead and be a key contributor, you know, a guy that could be looked at as a starter in this league, maybe potentially for next year, then he's going to have to do pretty much everything. And I think facilitating the basketball with this team is going to do him a whole hell of a lot better. So that's kind of where I'm at with him there, Mac. I know we didn't talk a whole lot about, you know, my thoughts on this, but that's kind of where I'm at with him for this particular game. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Keep the good times rolling. Uh, keep that ball moving. Derek White over four and a half assists. Get the plus 120. Anything over plus 105 is a decent bet. All right, so there you guys go. There's our first player prop wager. And like I said, we'll have one more. Going to be a three-star. You guys will get that here in a little bit. Let's talk Knicks and the Cavs. I was surprised at this one there, Mac. I did not think that Cleveland was going to go ahead and drop game one. Jalen Brunson went out, had a really good game, scored 27 points. And on the other side, Donovan Mitchell had an excellent game. He had 38 points in that game. New York took down. Cleveland there at Cleveland, 101-97. Curious what your thoughts are. Um, now, as we're talking, we already mentioned Hart. 
probably going to end up being out. You know, is that enough for you to maybe take a look here at Cleveland, especially bounce back spot in game two, laying pretty much the same line that, that was laid out there in game one? Yeah, I agree with the market here. And this line opened at four. It was saying, okay, well, we've learned something from this game. The Knicks are a better team than we thought, maybe just as good as Cleveland. I think if that's true, it's an overreaction. You mentioned Josh Hart. He's probably worth a point to that team right now. So you got to move that in the Cavs' direction. And it's just one game. It's just one game where they're feeling out Donovan Mitchell. He had a big game. You know, he showed up in the fourth quarter after kind of a quiet third. But I don't think, you know, I mentioned entering this series that I think the one player that the Cavs had to worry about is Donovan Mitchell shooting him out of the series. I actually felt, you know, despite the fact that he was 38 points and nobody else scored more than 20, he was actually doing the right plays. He was actually making the right decisions. It's going to be on everybody else. And I... I think they're going to be able to figure that out. J.B. Pickerstaff uh, can't be happy with Darius Garland shooting one time in the second half. And I don't think it was Donovan Mitchell hogging the ball. I just think it was uh, their system wasn't working quite. They weren't finding the opportunities that they, that they I think, will be able to later in the series with more game planning, seeing what Tom Thibodeau is doing on defense. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone else steps up. I think Donovan Mitchell has another big game, maybe 30-plus. And I like the Cavs here. Uh, what do you think of game one, and what do you think about game two? Game one was was surprising to me from the point that I like Julius Randle under his points, rebounds, assists. I was worried that maybe he wouldn't be healthy, and he went out there and he had an excellent game. He had 19 points, 10 rebounds. So I wasn't happy about that. The Knicks ended up killing the Cavs on the glass, and I actually thought, because Okoro was banged up. He only played 23 minutes, and I was like, well, if they put Dean Wade out there, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I liked Randle under. I, th- I thought if they put Dean Wade out there that it would make Cleveland just so much taller that there was no way that they would ever lose the glass battle, and they got bopped. So I think that they have to clean that up. But I do worry about the Knicks kind of going into this game looking like a two-man team with Brunson and Randall, and I think the Cavs defensively will be able to adjust to that. You know, going back to Garland and, and, and Mitchell, like Mitchell's going to shoot 30 times a game. Like That's just what he does. That's, that's who he is. But I think guys like Evan Mobley, you know, shooting 13 times. Uh, Okoro was ice cold. Levert was ice cold. Like Garland at some point, and I think that it's probably going to be, you know, the message is going to be loud and clear. Like we need to have this, and this is what you always say, like this is like this team's run by their guards. They're going to have to do that here. So I would actually maybe take a look at Garland. I don't know what his points prop is, but he's probably going to end up having a big game where, you know, they're going to force him to go out there and shoot the ball. And let the other role players become role players because you can't rely on guys like Okoro and Levert to go ahead and, and, and take up, you know, a quarter of the shots in a game and, and, and shoot themselves out of a game. So and, and look, I think that, that could happen again. I think that could actually happen again. So uh, I, I would look at Garland. I think that, that that's um, a wager that I would consider. But I wouldn't mind laying the five and a half points here with the Cavs. And look, you guys know me. You hear me talk on these podcasts all the time. I talk about conspiracy theories, and that's one of the things that, that I think that a lot of handicappers don't put into their handicap and, you know, say what you want. But the NBA, they don't want the Knicks getting swept. They don't want the Lakers getting swept. Like, they would love to see the Knicks and the Lakers stretch out as many games as possible or get into the second round if that's possible. And as I watched that Cavs and Knicks game, I saw a lot of crappy calls going against the Cavs. And I don't, and even the announcer, and I, I jumped in my car – and he was like, do they know we're playing in Cleveland tonight? <laughs> like when you hear that, that should perk your ears up saying, you know what? Maybe. You never know. So I think that the Cavs 
we'll probably get you know some favorable whistles here in this game. At least I would assume. Um, so I would I would lay the points here with the Cavs. I like the fact that the market has moved, and I get why it opened up at four. I mean, the, the, you know, the Knicks just won, so naturally the books are going to go ahead and, and lower the number a little bit. But the fact that the money's come in here on the Cavs for game two, and this actually might be a good zigzag series. So that might be something to consider for game three, you know, maybe taking a look at the Knicks there. So that's those are my thoughts on on that series there, Mike. That's interesting. You just gave me an idea. They have shot quality website I appreciate, which is like how much should they have scored? I'd like to see free throw quality or that's not the right word for it. But they ended up, you know, Nick shot 22 free throws, Cav shot 21 free throws. That doesn't tell me that it was a fairly called situation. It tells me that they had the same amount of free throws, how many they deserved. Uh, it's a question mark. So. Uh, I would say the league probably would mind less the Knicks sweeping than being swept, but the point is well taken. It's um, I don't think it's an edict or anything illegal that you're ever going to uncover some Watergate document, but I just think it's a general vibe. Uh, we know what we want to see with these results, and that means we want game one losers to win game two because everyone likes this even series going back to the other location. So if you look at history, in the second game of a series, if the home team lost game one, 59% ATS throughout our database here it goes back to 2002. If you just look last five years, 17 and five teams in this Cavs scenario. That's why the market comes in so heavily on Cleveland here. You know, Mac, and this is something that I look at when I watch these games, just to see if, if they're being favorable towards one team or another. And a lot of people will look at, at free throws and fouls, but that's not how they do this. Like that, that's not what they do. What they do is they run stop you. They stop you from going on runs. They stop the motivation and they kill the crowd. When they do that, all's well. And that's kind of what I was seeing with the Knicks in that particular game was every time Cleveland kind of seemed like they were about to get the motor run, bang, hit them with a foul. And that's kind of what I saw. So that, that, that to me was just a clear indication that, that they were leaning a little bit towards the Knicks, you know, with, with some favorable calls. It's just if we could just kill a run, we'll kill the momentum. So. And maybe it's just bad luck. Maybe the Cavs just got a bad whistle. That happens. It's not necessarily nefarious. But I think big picture, the Cavs are a better team than the Knicks. Game one didn't disprove that. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and we'll see how game two shakes out. I like uh, I like Cleveland in that one. All right, Max. So the final game here on Tuesday is going to be the Clippers and the Suns. But we're going to hold that off until last because that's going to be our three-star player prop game. So you guys will get the Clippers-Suns last. Let's jump into the Lakers and the Grizzlies. This was the team we just talked about. Lakers get the win there on the road in Memphis. Lakers look pretty damn good there. They're going to be a one-point favorite now on the road. Total of 227 and a half. Leading scorer for the Lakers. I bet nobody had this one. Rui Hachimura scored 29 points. Jaron Jackson Jr., Jesus Mack, goes out has 31 points. I don't know if I could have been any more wrong on a player prop going into that, that, that series. But I like Jaron Jackson Jr. under pretty much everything. He he beat me pretty much on everything. So um, I can sit here and admit I was wrong. I was wrong. I didn't want to roll the Lakers out from winning that game. But 128-112 over Memphis there, Mac. What would you think? I think Grizzlies are in trouble here. John Morant with a hand injury coming in. Injured it. Didn't play the last few minutes. But I just think from a matchup perspective, this is playoff basketball. This is something different. And LeBron was probably the fourth option on offense most of this game but they still have plenty of things to go to in the half court uh, that were working. Anthony Davis, 22 points, 10 steals, steal blocks, seven steals, three blocks. You'd never see that uh, 
anymore. That's Hakeem Olajuwon stuff. I mean, that doesn't speak to the Lakers' half-court offense, but it does speak to the ability to limit what the Grizzlies are doing on that side of the court, and that stems your transition, and uh, that's what made it a Lakers game. So uh, I was leaning Lakers. I didn't bet it coming into the series, but now I think this is uh, I think this is a six-game series. I think, I think they got, the Lakers got this. They're, they're moving on to round two. Yeah, they're tough, man. I was worried about AD. I thought maybe he was going to go down. I'm like, right before halftime, I clicked on Twitter and I saw, oh no, AD. And I'm like, what the hell happened there? And he sees, like, I can't move my arm. I'm like, oh, here we go. But luckily, he was able to go ahead and finish the game. But I mean, it, it didn't even seem like they really needed AD on the floor for that particular game. And I don't know what to make of Memphis right now. Like, if Jaws not 100%. I feel like like the guy that they're missing more than anything there, Mac, is probably Steven Adams, believe it or not. Like they were, I don't want to say they were weak inside because Jaron Jackson had a really good game, but this isn't the same Memphis team that we saw rolling into the playoffs last year. Like they're clearly different, still a good team, but I don't know, man. It's just, to me, I think that the Lakers figured it out. Like when you can have a guy like Rory Hachimura go out there, score 29 points, you know, Vanderbilt was playing really tough. He was gritty. And you got AD and you got LeBron out there kind of doing their thing. And then, you know, you had Reeves out there shooting late in that game. Like, this looks like a much different team. And that was the conversation that you and I had in our last podcast was that we kind of have to take everything from the regular season and just throw it out with this Lakers team. Yeah, maybe we could take like the last 10 games. But the Lakers, in my opinion, I wouldn't be shocked if they win this in five games and maybe they win this next game and go back home. But um, I would be very, very surprised if this goes seven games the way that these two teams looked, especially in game one. And if Jaws out, then there's no way you can mess with the Grizzlies because if you watch the game one, he was clearly like the best player on the floor, um, even outside of the, the, the you know the great game that Jackson and Bain were having. But yeah, it would only be Lakers for me from this point on, which it kind of pains me to say that because I've had faith in the Lakers for – I don't know, I guess maybe since LeBron got there and it's been nothing but disappointment. So, you know, am I going to go and take a shot with him again? Maybe I will. I don't know. What, what's the series price on that there, Mac? Is, is there like a decent price with the Lakers? Lakers have flipped the favorite and they're a big favorite. They're minus 250 consensus. Oh, God. Yeah. You know what? I learned my lesson messing with the Lakers. I'm not, I'm not going to lay the minus 250. You know, if it was like minus 140, I would consider it. But I'm not doing that. There's no way. Yeah, I mean, there's still three games to play in Memphis. Um, what's really interesting is this game two line in the movement. So Grizzlies opened as a two-point favorite, so major downgrade from when they closed game one as a four-point favorite. It made sense to me. The Lakers, you know, dominated that game. Anthony Davis, plus 27 when he was on the court, minus 11 when he was off the court, plus 27 when he was off the court. When you get a lot of steals and blocks, leads to a lot of transition, leads to a lot of good things on offense, uh, and that shows up in the plus-minus. So they were two-point favorites. Grizzlies downgraded. Now they've been downgraded an additional three points. The Grizzlies are now one-point underdogs at the Sharper Books. Pick them in other places. Uh, that tells me a couple things. One, a lot of love in the market for the L.A. Lakers. Two, John Morant's probably more hurt than, I, than, than we previously thought because the market is coming heavily against Memphis. Well, I guess right now for me, Mac, it's going to be a wait-and-see approach. I, I'm going to wait and see what happens with Ja. If he's in or if he's out, then... He's just too important for me to go ahead and probably make any type of wager. I mean, maybe a live wager or something like that, but at least 
let me let me find out you know the health of the star player for Memphis before I go ahead and start diving in on you know any crazy wagers. And think about this: I was just telling you about the great trend for a home team to lose game one and then be bounce back in game two, very strong historically. So that's probably a premium. So we go from a four point favorite, maybe in most situations, favorite loses in that spot, they should be a five point favorite. Well, now they're a one point underdog. It's a six point gap. That's all of John Morant's value. Probably double, in my opinion. I'm a little bit lighter on Jaws' value worth of three points. So other people have them worth more. But that's a huge move, and that that is that is definitely notable. The, the Vegas has made a six-point adjustment relatively from game one in this line. So let me ask you this, because this was a conversation that, you know, we are on straight out of Vegas last year. We often talked about John Morant being out of the lineup and how good the Grizzlies were without him on the floor. You know, was that a conversation that we should have, or is that maybe a conversation that maybe might sound stupid right now? Like, is, is he just – is he more important now? Was he less important then? Like, what do you think about that conversation? No. I think it's a relevant conversation, and I think to uh, bring that conversation full circle, talk about how when he was out the last few games against the Warriors in that series, and they played well. I think they won one game by, like, 30. Uh, they ended up losing that series. I think – Game to game, they can survive, but there's going to become there's in each series. There's going to be a fourth quarter. There's going to be, you know, one of those uh, run stoppers that you're talking about. Just that necessary bucket to get your team moving in the right direction that they would sincerely miss without him. So I think maybe worth two and a half, three points to the line. But from a futures perspective, he's a guy you need out there. All right. Well, we'll see how game two shakes out. That'll be Wednesday. That's an early game, actually, on Wednesday. Uh, let's jump to, why don't we talk about the heat in the bucks there, Mac? So we talked about it in the intro there, uh, about Giannis getting hurt. You know, he falls down, had a nasty fall into hurt in his back. And the line right now, Mac is bucks minus nine against the heat. So I'm not sure what they're valuing Giannis at right now or where they're valuing Tyler hero. So it's an interesting line because it really hasn't moved a whole hell of a lot from game one. I mean, you would expect it maybe to. But right now, what's the line telling you? Like, we know Hero's out. What's it telling you about Giannis? Yeah, there's a lot in this line. It's hard to make heads or tails of it because it seemed to go full circle. If there was no adjustment for injuries or anything and the Heat happened to pull off a miracle in game one and there was no power ratings adjustment, I'd expect this to be Bucks minus 10. Take Tyler Hero out. Maybe it goes to, you know, minus 11, minus 12. I think he's worth probably two points, maybe even more to the line, talking about how instrumental he is to the Heat's offense. So then Giannis being not 100%, if he's 100%, maybe it's 11, okay? But he's it's nine. So that tells me there's about maybe three-quarters chance he plays, maybe less than that that he plays at 100%. But it's funny how so much is implied in a line that really hasn't moved. So let me ask you this, all right? So let's say, let's say Giannis doesn't play, and now we know Miami doesn't have Hero. What do you make that line? Uh, so... Bucks, they were good this year, eleven and six without Giannis. But they don't. But the Heat sincerely depleted on offense versus a good, good defensive Bucks team. Giannis or no Giannis, I make it Bucks minus seven, maybe minus seven and a half. I actually think with Giannis off the floor. Yeah, let me revise that. It's got to be less than that. It's got to be like Bucks minus six. I was thinking somewhere in the area of like Bucks minus four or five and the only reason i would think like six makes sense is because the bucks lost game one right so i'm, I'm just trying to figure out like where this line would be because look i'm not 100 percent convinced like i said 
Giannis has to show me that that he's going to play. And if he does play, then then I can start making my adjustments in my head, hopefully correctly. And, you know, we can get to the, you know, get to the root of the problem. So I don't know how you feel about game two. I, I kind of feel the same way with, with, with this series as I do with the Lakers and Grizzlies. Like, I have to know if Giannis is going to play before I really do anything, you know, with this particular series. I don't really have much more in that series or in for that particular game there, Mac, do you? Yeah, there's one more thing, and I probably should have uh, realized it and bet it in game one because it would have been a great bet, especially the way it turned out. But Giannis, if you look at his 29 opponents, can't play himself, doesn't play the Bucks, but versus 29 opponents, his worst points per game is against the Miami Heat. And that's in the regular season where he's only 19 points per game and in the playoffs where he scores a little bit more, but not proportionally that much more when you consider how many more minutes he's played. So Bam Adebayo... The way that they play defense, the mentality that they have seems to work against Giannis, especially if he's banged up. If they post this again at 28 and a half, uh, I think that would be a big mistake. That'd be an opportunity to bet the under. All right. Well, there's certainly a wager that we can go ahead and consider. Something else you guys should consider getting over to pregame.com and picking up a pick package or a pick from one of the great handicappers there at pregame. You guys can simply enter code MAC20 or SLEEPY20. Save 20% on any pick there at pregame.com. I know, Mackenzie, uh, I overheard today that you're rather hot in the NBA playoffs. Is that true? Uh, this season's been a wash, 3-3, three and three, but last season, 60-plus percent, 65%, I think, plus 51 units. By far, my most successful time last year uh, and this year has been after the All-Star break, gearing down when I can focus on NBA, NBA every day. All right, so NBA every day, obviously. You and I are going to be going probably strong for the next two months. But I do hear a particular sound. And, yes, we're going to go ahead and we're going to bring back NBA Jeopardy. Uh, Mac, I'm going to give you one question because I think I'm going to stump you with this one. In the history of the NBA, name the franchise that went to the NBA Finals four straight years in a row. All right, so the Celtics twice. Uh, This one isn't as tough as you think because I live – on list of NBA champions.wikipedia.com. That's like, <laughs> I, I, I scan it often. So I'll be able to recall this, I'm pretty sure. The Celtics definitely did it twice uh, in the 60s, twice. Uh, and they might have done it in the 80s. The Lakers did it 82 to 85. I remember that because uh, they didn't go in 86 when they should have because they lost to the Rockets. Uh, moving forward, well, it's happened recently. The Warriors did it, the Cavs did it, uh, the Heat did it. The four years that LeBron was there. Uh, so that's three. That's six. Yeah. Celtics twice, 60s, twice in the 60s, uh, once in the 80s. Or did they do it twice in the 60s? Or did, did they do it in the 80s? I guess is the question. No, they didn't because the Sixers broke it up. All right. So the Sixers, the 60s, Celtics twice, the 80s Lakers, the Miami Heat, the Golden State Warriors, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Those are your six teams. You know, I think Boston actually went, they went like eight or nine times in a row or some crazy, some crazy number or something like that. But the craziest stat in history is the fact that Bill Russell won the NCAA college championship his last two years in college. So he literally went 15 years. He won 13 championships. It's so ridiculous. It's like legendary. You know what? And I always thought about him and I was like, where does he rank in like the all-time greats? Like he he obviously should be up there, but I felt like like Bill Russell to me. Like when we, and I'm sure you've done this a bazillion times, Mac. 
go back and look at Wilt Chamberlain's stats. Like, Wilt Chamberlain was one of a kind in the era that he played, and I felt like Bill Russell was kind of like, he was just a, just as similar to, like, Wilt Chamberlain. Like, he was just head and shoulders way above his time, Yeah, and it just took so long for the league to catch up to him and so long for the league to catch up to, to Wilt that m- maybe he doesn't deserve to be, you know, if some guys have him, like, in, like, the top five, maybe he doesn't deserve to be there because of the era that he played in. But clearly, that that dude was a baller, obviously. No doubt. And LeBron James' agent, Rich Paul, threw some shade at Bill Russell saying, well, if we're only counting rings and Bill Russell should have won. Well, maybe we should only count rings because that is the goal. But you make up a good point where the average NBA player in the 60s looks nothing like the average NBA player now. He's four inches taller. He's that much more athletic, given that. But you talk about positionally, I've heard it broken down like this. Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, legendary rivalry. Bill Russell won a lot more games. Will Chamberlain, more stats. Same amount of MVPs. After that, though, Wilt played Kareem. Kareem got the best of them, but they were pretty close at different points in their careers. Kareem played Hakeem in the 80s. Hakeem gave Kareem everything he could handle plus more. All right? So if Wilt is about the same relatively to Kareem, Hakeem is relatively similar to Kareem, power of transposition or whatever, transitive property, Wilt could have balled with Hakeem. They would have been similar. All right, let's keep it going. Hakeem in the 94 finals played Shaq. And Shaq said, I could talk talk trash to everybody. I had everybody's number. Nobody was better than Hakeem. He said Hakeem was better than I am. I think Hakeem was the best big of all time. Going on this pantheon, it would make sense. All right, and Shaq, people say he's Giannis. You know, he's Giannis before the uh, NBA was skinny. He's fat Giannis. So if you go through big man, through big man, through big man, I think the Pantheon is complete. I think we've had great players throughout. I think the difference is now we have consistently great players at every position and there's 20, 30 of them deep in the league. But I think the best of the best could ball in any era. And I think Bill Russell's one of those guys. People say, oh, he's, he's a 6'9 center. He couldn't play. Okay, the best defensive center in the league for the past decade has been a 6'6 guy named Draymond Green. So Bill Russell could do that. I'm pretty sure Bill Russell could do that if not more. So, uh, yeah, I think all time he's, he deserves to be in that conversation. Uh, so good job on Rich Paul for bringing him up. All right. Well, good job by you by not bringing up all the crazy stats. Cause I know that you're probably dying to do so. <laughs> As you guys can tell, Mac likes to talk about NBA history and the greatest players in the league. And certainly Bill Russell, one of those guys. Um, all right, Mac, let's move on here. We have, you know what? Let me just go ahead and alert everybody. If you guys are listening here that the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, one game, two, and they covered. They get a 12-point win there over Brooklyn, 96-84. to 84. Philadelphia's defense in the second half there, Mac, elite, only allowing the Brooklyn Nets to score 35 points. Tyrese Maxey went bonkers in that game, 33 points. So we kind of know where we're headed at in that series. Philadelphia is going to take a 2-0 lead on the road to Brooklyn. So it'll be interesting to see what that line shapes up as. Uh, we have the T-Wolves and the Nuggets there, Mac, and then we have the Clippers Suns. Let's save the Clippers and Suns, like we said, till last. Uh, I turned on the Nugget game the other night. Actually, I was I was kind of tired, Mac. Ended up laying down, and I saw that the Wolves were hanging tough in the first quarter, and then I looked at the score in the third quarter, and I believe the Nuggets were up by like almost 30, or they may have been up by 30. I didn't watch a whole lot of that game, so I don't want to sit here and act like I, like I saw a lot and, and like I handicapped a lot. This is the one game that I really even haven't looked at yet over the next two days. So what did you make of the T-Wolves? You know, do you think maybe they were just a little drained out because of, you know, the play-in stuff or maybe the Nuggets were just 
maybe just so much better than this T-Wolves team? What would you make a game one? I think the market told the story where this was a six-point line at open, and then the narrative came into play where we're talking about the Hawks uh, had to battle their way into the playoffs where the T-Wolves had to play in L.A. and then host a do-or-die game, seven-esque game against the Thunder, uh, and then wheel back and play on the road at the toughest place to play in the NBA, Denver. And it showed up. It showed up uh, probably in the second quarter when they went from right in it, three points down, to pretty soon after that in the third quarter, down 20, and it was no kind of game. Uh, one takeaway I have is that Anthony Edwards has played three games so far that were postseason, one in the playoffs, two in the postseason, or two in the uh, playing tournament. He's gone 20 points under his points prop, eight, po- eight points under his points prop, and then in the last game, nine points under his points prop of over under 27. Uh, I played one of those, got down on, on the second one of those, but I'm wondering if if the market's going to come crashing down or if this is just a, a weak spot in the market where they expect him to be Kobe and he's just not that at this point in his career. He's only averaging 24 on the season, so I don't know why they keep setting it so high for Anthony Edwards. You know, I was thinking about this, Mac, too. And I'll touch on Edwards here in a minute. I was wondering, like, with the teams that have to play, too, and the only reason I bring this up is because if you look at the T-Wolves in the third quarter, they got absolutely slaughtered. And they were out there and they were playing tough. But you just got to wonder if, like, the, if, the, if the motor runs out of gas, you know, at halftime when they're sitting in there trying to go through all these adjustments and just mentally, physically, like, this team at some point needs a break. And I get it. Like, you know, they have a day off or whatever the case might be. But maybe for some reason, you know, that, that, that kind of hurts a team. Like, I would actually like to see, like, over – you know, over the last couple of seasons, you know, since we had the plan, you know, what the team looks like in the third quarter who had to play two games. Like if they just come crashing down to earth, that was something that I wanted to look at. But, you know, for me with the, with this, I, I kind of had a feeling like the Teals could come in here and just get absolutely throttled. That what's the goal of, of these teams sometimes? It's, hey, let's just go out there and let's just win one game. And it doesn't have to be game one. Maybe they're more focused on like game two because if they can steal a game on the road, well, then they can go ahead and they can kind of flip home court. And I think that maybe that's something that we should probably look at. I wouldn't rule out the T-Wolves coming in here with a massive effort for game two. I mean, they still got Cat, still got Gobert, still have Edwards. I mean, that's not a, you know, not an easy three guys to go ahead and beat. So I would actually consider maybe taking the eight and a half. And if Denver comes in here, you know, fat and happy the way, the way that they won, you know, the last game, you know, they could just be like, yeah, we're the one seed. These guys are just a playing team, whatever. And that's the one thing that I think you don't want to do, especially with the T-Wolves, is take that team lightly because they can go out there and they can beat you on any given night, even if you're on your A game, if they bring their A game. So I would consider maybe taking a look at the at the Wolves here, plus the eight and a half points, because I have a feeling that they might actually be live to win this game because I'm not a big believer in this Nuggets team. Like, look, yeah, I know they finished with a great record. I know they have one of the MVP guys on on, on the team. But I'm not sold with this Nuggets team, especially laying eight and a half points against a team that just might have to just kind of just need to take off the second half, get a day off and, and kind of relax, assess everything and say, all right, let's 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 get ready to play this thing out. So that's kind of where I'm at with it with that series right now. Yeah, you got agreement for me. Uh, this line opened at six the bookmakers analyzed all their algorithms, all the data, and they said the Nuggets are about three points better than Minnesota. And then the market came in and they ended up being right saying Denver's in a great spot, they're going to blow them out. Well, then they blew them out. So now what's the line? Should we make it six, where it was, or eight and a half, where it ended up being? Well, if the eight and a half was driven by fatigue and the spot situation, 
then I think the real line should be closer to six and a half, maybe. You know, give give Denver some credit for their dominant display, winning by twenty nine. But uh, you know, all the time we see this, a team gets blown out and then they blow out the other team in the NBA. Uh, don't overreact to one data point. All right. So with that one wrapped up there, Mac, that brings us to the Clippers and the Suns. I'm going to come right out and I'm going to say it. I did not think that the Clippers were going to win a game. That was my mindset before tip-off. I'm like, you know what, man? This Clippers team is going to get beat up. And it went ahead. I bet the Suns wasn't the case. And Max said on the podcast, he was like, you can't make Kawhi Leonard 4-1 to underdog to anybody. You know what? He was right. Kawhi went out there and did his thing. He looked like the best player on the floor. Better than Durant. Better than Booker. Mac, let me ask you this before we even talk about the game. Because this is something that I thought about. And I think Kawhi kind of fell off. At least in the minds of where people were putting him in terms of best players in the league. And I know at one point you had him as as the best player in the league uh, over Durant. When, you know, I think we were in the bubble season or something like that. We did a podcast and we talked about that. And I didn't disagree. I mean, Kawhi ended up taking down the title. Dude looked like the, the best player in the league. But I got to ask you, like, where do you have him right now? Because after I saw him not only play through this entire season, but go out there and do what he did, you know, to take a team that doesn't have their second best player, Paul George, you know, and go on the road against a team that that's just, I guess, loaded for bear to go ahead and win a title with, you know, one, two, let's just say arguably two top 10, top 15 players with Durant and Booker. I mean, Kawhi kind of, I don't want to say he made it look easy, but he made it look like he he might still be in the conversation for best player in the league. I think he has to be. I think he has to be. And when he went down in 2021, like literally the morning or the day before, I had upgraded him to be right in line with Kevin Durant as the best player in the league. Now I think uh, I think it's a broader group of players we can consider as the best, but he's got to be right up there in it. If you look at his shooting the last 12 games of the of his playoff career, which is a lot, it's you know a few years, um, spread over a decent amount of time, but he had that terrible series in the bubble where they lost a three-one lead to the Nuggets. Uh, Paul, it wasn't all Paul George's fault. He had a bad series, but before that, the last time he was in the playoffs, he was hoisting the trophy with the twenty nineteen Raptors. So after that, since the bubble twenty twenty one, he starts with the Clippers. He's played twelve playoff games. This is his stat line: thirty one points per game. All right, you know Jordan level, not bad, consistent. Fifty seven percent shooting from the floor. How good is that? Well, I looked at it all time. If you look at non-centers, here are the best playoff shooters of all time. Anthony Davis, who's pretty much a center, 53%. Giannis, who's pretty much a center, 52%. Then it drops off a cliff. Nobody, no guard, no forward, shoots anywhere close to this percentage on a consistent basis. And I think after game one, we have to say, hey, it's been pretty consistent. This is 12 games now, 57% from the floor. Not too bad. All right. 2.8 2.8 steel blocks, two steals and 0.8 blocks. How good is that? That's what Scottie Pippen averaged in his career. Maybe the best, one of the best off-ball perimeter defenders. That's the kind of production he's giving you on the defensive end. Not to mention he's shooting like the best shooter in the world, scoring 31 points per game. Oh, by the way, five assists per game for good measure. Had a huge one to Eric Gordon to clinch it late. Uh, incredibly clutch, incredibly consistent. The fact that he doesn't play every other game in the regular season does not I do not dock him for that the way other people do. I think right there with Kevin Durant and Giannis, the best player in the world, arguably. You know, I think what you said kind of made me have a light bulb moment there, Mac, is that 
Kawhi's probably been one of the guys that has been considered like he doesn't really care about the regular season, or let's just say he, he hasn't shown that because he sits out a lot, you know, with knee maintenance or whatever the case might be. But the, if they're going to push him to play 42 minutes like they did in game one, and I can get – because I watched him, and he didn't look like he was tiring out at all. Like he looked like he was the freshest player on the floor. And if you can go ahead and you can get this play out of him, you know, for, the, for, for however long, like that's going to be fun to watch. So I would much rather watch this version of Kawhi instead of getting him for a regular season game during the year because clearly right now they need him because they don't have Paul George. But, you know, if this is the version that we get, then this series is going to be more of a treat than I even thought. Yeah, no doubt. And it reminds me of the 2017 finals, the series or Western Conference finals, which was pretty much the finals, which uh, we didn't get to see because Kawhi Leonard, you might remember, was the best player in that series with Steph Curry and Kevin Durant for about three quarters. And then he stepped on Zaza's foot. He was out for the rest of the series. He never played for the Spurs again. They changed the rules. A lot happened. Uh, butterfly effect from that moment. But the the kind of lost in it was we didn't get to see what would have happened if Kawhi Leonard versus the world, and he has a good supporting cast, and he has a good coach. How how far can he go? And uh, every clutch play down the stretch against the Suns in game one, it was on Kawhi's shoulders, and he showed up. So let's see if that keeps going forward. But yeah, from a, from a neutral's perspective, it's a lot more fun to watch. Uh, this kind of series with the best players in the world going at it for 40 minutes a game. Yeah, because, you know, you do a lot of complaining during a regular season, but when you see something like this, I mean, he had an amazing game, 42 minutes, 38 points, went out there and did everything to help his team win. You're not going to complain, you know, about seeing the best players in the league go out there and perform like that. Like we said there, Mac, Paul George not on the floor. Clearly the Clippers' second best player. But right now it has to be Russell Westbrook. Am I right or am I wrong? You are correct, sir. Although... A lot of people might come back at you and being like, Sleepy, three for 19, he was terrible. How could you say he's the second best player or the second most important player on the Clippers? Well, if you watched him from a defensive standpoint, let's just take his defense into consideration of what he did on the floor. I don't want to say he won the Clippers the game, but he made the most important play at the end of the game when a bucket really mattered. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the play, but he ended up grabbing – grabbing like kind of a rebound or whatever it was, and he threw the ball off of Devin Booker, and, and the Clippers ended up, you know, getting the possession, and that was all they needed because all they needed to make was a couple free throws there. But Westbrook had a really good game. 11 rebounds, 8 assists, had 2 steals in that game, 3 blocks, only had 2 turnovers and 2 fouls. And But, yeah, oh, I get it. He, w- he only had 9 points. He was 3 for 19. But, Mac, that's kind of where we're going to go here with our three-star pick. And I know that some of you guys are going to cringe, especially some of you guys that message me from time to time and follow me on Twitter. Um, Westbrook hasn't been kind really to anybody, you know, this entire year. But I think in this game, he's going to be because he needs to be important. And I think Russell Westbrook now realizes how important he is to this Clippers team. He's not coming off the bench. Paul George is not coming back. So Russell Westbrook needs to go out there and he needs to play exactly the same way as he did in the last game. And I think asking Russ to not shoot the ball and just go out there and be a rebounder and a sister and a menace on defense and steal and block that you start screwing with this guy again. Like he needs to be either the first option or the second option on a team in order for Westbrook to be Westbrook. And his points prop right now, Mac, is at 16 and a half. If I can get 19 shots out of a guy who's going to play 36 minutes and the second most important player on a team, then it just makes a world of sense to me 
to actually go ahead and pull the trigger here on Westbrook points over. Just give me the 19 shots, and I know I'm not making a bad bet. I know I'm not making a bad bet. Couldn't agree more. You hit on a lot of a lot of points that I think are dead-on accurate. I think this is a good way to sum it up. His points prop was 17 and a half entering game one. It was proven the way the Suns were defending Kawhi and the rest of the Clippers that he was going to get his opportunities to the tune of 19 shots. And then in game two, they set it at 16 and a half. They drop it a point. I think arguably they should have raised it a point and made it 18 and a half because people are going to make and people are going to miss. Russell Westbrook was affirmed in his playing style, not only by the win, but if you listen to Ty Lue afterwards or Westbrook himself talking about his game, let Russ be Russ. Let him be that engine that gives you that block and that throws off Devin, Booker leg, Devin Booker's leg at the end of the game to clinch it for you. That you know just causes havoc. That works when he he doesn't have to think about it. He doesn't have to consider, uh, am, am I stepping on anybody's toes here? He's not because there's not that many people's toes that really need to be avoided. You know, give give Kawhi 25 shots a game. The rest of the Clippers' offense is you know going to do what it's going to do. So I think he was affirmed by that, and I think the Suns' defense was affirmed by giving him those shots because they don't have an answer for Kawhi yet. They haven't figured that out. He's shooting 58% from the floor. They have an answer for Westbrook, which is make or miss. Go ahead. What are we going to do? So he's going to get his shot opportunities. And if he's taking 19 attempts, I mean, the least efficient player in the world, it should be 18 and a half. No, I mean, that's the bottom line. A point per possession is bad. I think he's going to be a little bit better than that. Uh, but at least 18 and a half at a bare minimum is what this number should be. They set it at 16 and a half. Uh, I think it's a knee-jerk reaction. Oh, he only scored six, nine points. Lower his prop total. That's not how it works. I don't think that's how the dynamics dynamics are going to play out. Uh, you brought this one to the table, and I like it a lot. Russell Westbrook over 16 and a half points. All right, so there's our three-star best bet. Let's just call it our prop of the year for our podcast. Russell Westbrook over to 16 and a half points. Mac, I think one of the mistakes here that the books are making, and this is something that I think that everybody needs to listen to and, and strongly consider, is that the regular season and the playoffs are different seasons, and we know that. But we know that the rotations get shorted up. Like we were just talking a little while ago about, you know, Derek White. Like, what do we do with him being the fourth scorer? But they're not taking Tatum off the floor. They're not taking Brown off the floor. Like, those guys are always going to get their shot attempts. And right now for this Clippers team, they're not taking Kawhi off the floor and they're not taking Westbrook off the floor. And within like the first, let's just say one, two, three games within a series, I believe that the odds makers are kind of still trying to find their footing on these rotations and how long a guy might play and how, you know, like what is he going to do with this particular rotation now? Because the rotations are so much smaller. Uh, I think Boston played like seven guys, something like that. Like it wasn't, they're, they're not, you know, going deep into the bench. So I think the books are having trouble right now adjusting. And look, some guys are going to get right, some they're going to get wrong. I clearly believe that Westbrook is wrong. And I'm going to make a prediction here, and I'll say this, is that right now it's at 16 and a half. We're playing that over. That Westbrook goes out, and if he exceeds this point total, that it gets closer to 20. It'll be like 19 and a half, especially if he goes way over. They're going to boost this up so much that they're going to end up saying, there's no way we're going to let you guys bet him over because we realize now how important this guy is to this team. And I think that that is kind of one of the reasons why we want to attack this. And the other reason, Mac, and I think you, you kind of touched on that, was that the Suns are going to go, go ahead, dude, just shoot. 
you can't leave guys wide open in the NBA. And when Ka- when Kawhi is like drawing that much attention, that there'll probably be less attention to Westbrook. And maybe Westbrook just picks the best percentage shots for himself. And he just gets a couple extra buckets to go down. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up, you know, being quite hot for this game. So I like it. Um, and look, I, I'll tell you, when I give out Westbrook props, um, and I haven't given out many, I usually get slaughtered for it, Max. So I, I need your help backing me up on Twitter with this one if it goes down. Actually, what's going to happen is we're going to get a lot of flack on Twitter before this game even tips off. <laughs> right. It's it's <laughs> funny because it's uh we're we're in a square pool. We're talking about a Hall of Fame player and his points prop over, but I feel like it's actually value because there's so many people that knee jerk the other way. They're always looking to play against Westbrook in the playoffs. That this line just isn't right. Sixteen and a half is too low for the second best scorer on a team where they're supposed to score like 115 points by the team total. It's just too low. Uh, I think it's a lot of wannabe sharps that are gonna that, that bet this down. And I think by the end of the series, it's going to be 18 and a half, 19 and a half every game. Uh, unless Paul George comes back. Last ad on this for me. Uh, if you look at Russell Westbrook on the Clippers without Paul George, nine games, 19 points per game. When Paul George is there, only 13 points per game. Well, he's not going to be there for game two. So I'm, I'm expecting closer to that 19 points per game production, if not more, because it's the playoffs and he's going to be going all out. All right. Well, there you guys go. You should be nice, fat, and happy with all the Westbrook talk and, and stats. But that's, that's going to be our big prop there for this podcast. Hopefully, you guys end up getting some winners. Hopefully, you guys got you know a couple nuggets out of us here for this one. But Mac and I will go ahead. Uh, we'll be back later on this week. So that'll wrap up the NBA Dream Podcast for today. Make sure you guys go ahead and get at Mac and I on Twitter, at Mac and Rivers, at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Like, subscribe to the podcast if you can. And I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, but we switched platforms. So kind of like right now, the reviews are really important to us right now. So go ahead and leave a comment, uh, especially for Mac and I, you know, if you do wish to do that. Uh, if you guys are looking to go ahead and join an NBA handicapping contest, you could do so right now at pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the games.